Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit make these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The Eucalyptus Fiber Upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Peterson Toyota is your local Toyota dealer serving Fort Collins, Loveland, Windsor, Tinmouth, and the surrounding communities, and has been doing so for more than 50 years. Not only will you find the latest Toyota models at Peterson, you'll also find a friendly and accommodating staff eager to assist you. They'll offer you first-class service, whether it be a service appointment, help picking out the right part for your Toyota, or test driving a new or pre-owned vehicle. If your heart is set on a new Toyota, they've got you covered. Check out Peterson's selection of affordable Toyota models, take one for a spin, let their staff help you find the one that's right for you, all at a competitive price and financing. Peterson strives to be the best in everything they do, and they will take care of you. If you're in the market for a new or used vehicle, please give Peterson Toyota first shot at your business. Thanks. Enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to Ram Nation Radio. I'm Joel Candelamessa. Recording this on Tuesday, late afternoon, I will be having Steve Ivey and Mike Rowe join us in just a few minutes, as well as our special guest, Jeff Grammer, longtime beat reporter for the New Mexico Lobos and the Mount West Conference for the Albuquerque Journal. He is out in Las Vegas. We're going to talk to him about the Mountain West Tournament. The women got underway last night, and the men start Wednesday. So... We will have a great conversation with him. He's about as good as it gets when it comes to Mountain West coverage. I know we are spoiled with Kevin Lytle here at the Fort Collins, Colorado, and he is a great reporter as well, but always had an affinity for Jeff Grammer and what he does. Um, excited for a little college hoops because it's been a tough winter. Not a lot of warmth. I'm ready for golf. I'm ready for some warm weather, but uh, at least we've got Mountain West tournament starting. We've got NCAA tournament in two weeks. It's a good time of the year good time of the year you got hope of spring coming up and spring football on the horizon so a lot of good coming Uh, I want to talk real quickly before everybody joins about this latest report from the on the Pac-12 from John Canzano of johnconzano.com he's a longtime sports reporter in Oregon covering the Pac-12 he wrote a report saying that CSU is one of three universities in the Pac that the Pac-12 has on its list of possible candidates along with the well-known targets of San Diego State and SMU that have been well-documented. He said there's also a fourth that he's unsure about. He's trying to confirm details on that. Uh, Right now, he's at the Pac-12 tournament, so I'm not sure how much more we're going to be hearing on that while he's covering that tournament, but hopefully he's gathering some intel and sharing that to the masses here soon. Uh, But he did say that CSU is on the Pac-12's list because of the cultural fit, footprint, academics, fact that there would be a built-in rival. So, 
Uh, also saw a great set of tweets kind of in response to that by Tony Altimore on Twitter. He has been a longtime follower of the PAC 12 and advocate of the PAC 12. He had some great arguments on CSU's behalf. Um, check out his tweets. Again, his name is Tony Altimore. I retweeted one of his tweets a couple days ago, but he said CSU's been on the PAC's short list of expansion candidates going back to the 1970s. And he wrote, I quote, of course they would be considered for this round of expansion, just like they have been considered in every round of PAC expansion, even those that didn't happen for decades. And he added that former longtime commissioner Tom Hansen has talked publicly about CSU before being a candidate and the attraction of CSU. Uh, he added that he doesn't believe CSU will make the cut above San Diego State and SMU, but does believe that CSU 100% deserves consideration despite football not being on par. He said the reasons outside of the of sports why the Pac-12 would be interested is because CSU does $450 million in research a year, which is a lot. I mean, that's more than anybody in the Big 12 outside of Cincinnati or outside of Colorado, excuse me, four times of what Oregon does, more than what Oregon State does or Washington State does, 10 times what SMU and Baylor or BYU do. So that makes them attractive. Um, and as the Pac-12 CEOs gather in Las Vegas for their conference tournament this week, you know, it's going to have everybody on the edge of their seat to see if any smoke signals come out on expansion, on their TV deal, and all that. So in my humble opinion, I'm not sure that I see it happening, especially while CU is in the league, especially while CSU is or CU is in the league. I think it's probably exploratory, uh, looking at contingency options if additional teams leave the Pac-12 and potentially could be just kind of putting the proverbial uh, blast warning out there to CU that might be entertaining the idea of leaving that, uh, hey, look, if you leave, we're going to elevate your in-state rival to P5 status. So I don't know. I don't see any scenario where CU would feel like having CSU on equal footing is something that they would ever be okay with or willing to approve in a vote. So um, granted, they're not the only vote, but uh, I just find that they're not going to be in our corner on that. Um, I am encouraged that the main reasoning for CSU being included is in the conversation is that the PAC-12 board of directors, uh, which is their presidents, highly values the importance of regional fit and importance of rivalries, along with their premium on academics and research. And, you know, if they didn't value those things and only looked at sports brand and, and that's what the only determining factor, CSU obviously wouldn't be on the list because football has been abysmal. But maybe the PAC-12 is going to be the league that kind of bucks the trend of the national footprint that everyone's trying to seek to chase TV dollars. And maybe they'll value regionality and familiarity and shorter travel and putting athletes first and fostering interest uh, in these rivalries. Um, CSU would bring another pair of rivals to the league matching CU. Um, you know, with this window of opportunity, how big or small it is, Joe Parker, uh, Amy Parsons, the board of directors, uh, the board of governors at CSU, they got to be going all out to make yourself as attractive as possible. Get creative. I assume that candidates are going to be asked to take a lesser revenue share for a while. Of course, that's fine. <laughs> whatever you're getting is going to be more than our 3.5 million or whatever we're getting a year from our TV contracts. So, of course, you can ramp up that payout over 10 years. But, uh, you know, what else, though, though, can you do to add value? Um, I, I think one thing you can do is perhaps work on a bowl alliance uh, at Canvas, you know, find a sponsor willing to go big time into sponsoring a bowl game at Canvas. 
with a major payout. I mean, GCSU could even pay out some of that of your own budget if need be to help subsidize and make it happen. Um, find a prominent sponsor, Vail, Canvas, New Belgium, something, uh, and tell the Pac-12 you'll bring that bowl to the league. And um, you could also leverage the relationship that CSU has with the Monforts, you know, host host a game at Coors or something. Um, just make it one attractive bowl game of the season. Tell them it's coming along with you, just kind of an added bonus of your membership. But Ram I Am, I thought, put, had a great post, which was our post of the month winner uh, this month. It was on the Ram Club board. He was talking about it's do or die time for CSU to show its intentions of, you know, for the future of CSU football. And it's go big for the Washington state opener or go home, you know, make it extra special, roll out the red carpet for Washington state staffers and invite the PAC 12 brass, show them all that CSU and Fort Collins have to offer, show them your facilities, campus, what game day is like, you know, you just put something major together and don't whiff on it. Right. But uh, anyways, some people have pointed out that none of this may even matter. The PAC 12 could eventually crumble when another, group of schools leaves that league that could happen if the league can't secure a media contract that's in the same vicinity as the 31.5 million dollars that the big 12 just got you know there's lots of mud being slung from their fans and even some media if you can call them media most of them are internet bloggers kind of dorks but they are throwing mud saying the pac-12 is not gonna be anywhere near that ballpark and they're talking about how apple tv and amazon are the the only people willing to throw out real dollars and, you know, that the PAC 12 would only be streaming, which would make them kind of invisible from a publicity standpoint and exposure standpoint. So I just don't think there's any way that they would ever go with a majority streaming model. You got to be on linear, linear TV. I think there'll be a mix, whether it's half and half, I don't know, but you know, the big 12 has a good chunk upwards of half of their inventory is going to be on ESPN plus. And that's, you know, ESPN plus is streaming. So um, anyway, John Cazano reported that his sources say that they're confident in that the PAC 12 will, will reach those similar numbers as the big 12 and that it's a layup. Um, and they expect to be North of that. Even if you're not though, say you're, say you're close, say you're a few million off of that or shy of that. What's, what's going to be a PAC 12's members motivation to leave you know, you leave a 12 to 14 member league uh, for an 18 member league, a bloated 18 member league that spans across the country. It gives you a tougher path to the college football playoff. All for what? A, a potentially slight increase in TV revenue, which would totally be offset by your additional travel costs, right? And it's, it's, it's we're not just talking football here. It's going to be all your sports who now have to travel all across the country more often to face their league opponents. People have also said that Oregon and Washington could leave for the Big Ten, and there have been reports that they've received an offer that would pay them half of what every other team makes. And when you think about that, it seems insulting, kind of is, but uh, in, in 2025, the Big, Big Ten is going to have all their schools making $100 million a year, just incredible. So that would mean at a half share, they're make, Oregon and Washington would be making $50 million a year. So you're still way ahead of the Pac-12 or the Big 12. But you're also competing day in and day out against opponents who are getting $50 million more than you from TV. So uh, it doesn't seem like a level playing field. And the money is nice, but why accept competitive inequity especially when your former conference mates, UCLA and USC are going to be getting full shares 
the likes of Rutgers, Maryland, and other perennial average to bad football teams are making $100 million, all while you go and lose your familiar rivals. And you'll be traveling across the country for most of your league games. And you lose all that regionality and familiarity. And it's, I don't know. I feel like the Pac-12 is going to survive. I feel like they will retain their membership, possibly add San Diego State and SMU, even though I believe there's some heartburn among those presidents, the Pac-12 presidents, about those two additions. I think they just make sense for what the Pac-12 needs at this point and a point of desperation. It's just a shame when you look at CSU uh, that all of the great things that this university has done over the last couple of decades off the field, the investments, the improvements, the efforts of the athletic department as well, you know, good things we've seen happen in CSU athletics in, you know, spans in spurts of basketball and in some of our Olympic sports. And then all of the building of these facilities we've got, they're all being completely negated by the futility of football. And it's all at the worst time possible. We hired Mike Bobo to follow up Jim McElwain. That was a total flop. And then we extended him for two years of additional misery. And then you hired the inexplicable Steve Adazio, the most, the greatest head scratcher of all time. And it just may be the dagger for CSU. I mean, can, can the PAC 12 overlook football? I maybe, I don't know. I feel like they might see that if you hire the right staff and the right, uh, the head coach and staff and, which I believe we did in Jay Norvell and you get the right recruiting recruiting pieces in place. Let's get a couple of good classes in place. You could turn football around. You can turn around fairly quickly in the grand scheme of things, but you cannot turn around academic rankings and cultural fit research dollars, all those things that are built in over years and years and grown, you know, the foundation is there. The location of CSU is there, the community, the commitment, the facilities, the TV market, 18th in the country for TV market size, bigger than San Diego, right? Um, bigger than in the other candidates that are out there. If you could just add in winning, we would be such an attractive option. So the problem is, even if we do go on a run this year, I, the, this vote about expansion is going to happen sooner rather than later, probably long before we have any time to make our mark on the field. So I, I hate to be negative. It, it just seems like we're going to be left out again. And our football program has probably cost us hundreds of millions of dollars over the coming years by being left out of P5 expansion, along with the prestige of being affiliated academically with the likes of Stanford, Cal, and AA, the other AAU universities in the Pac-12. And you just look at how San Diego State, which – probably has had its the the cows and Stanford's of the world have thumbed their nose at San Diego state forever. And now they're going to be at the same table, you know, talking decisions together. So can, can we all just pre, please pray that CSU somehow gets thrown a hail Mary, a lifeline here, some sort of miracle. Um, you know, I'm praying for that, but it is nice to have CSU's name in the conversation and being talked about nationwide on social media and all that. But it would be nice if, if something just, miraculous would go our way for once all right before we bring in jeff grammer and steve ivy and mike rowe let me pause real quick and tell you about ginger and baker you should ward off that freezing cold chill outside with a great dinner inside at the cash where you can enjoy fine steaks and chops good whiskey or select something from their award-winning wine list 
Or for a more casual outing, check out the cafe with a wide offering of American comfort food classics. Ginger and Baker also features a coffee shop, event spaces, a market, and a teaching kitchen. This month, some of your options in the teaching kitchen are learning to make ravioli from scratch, some brunch favorites, cooking a perfect steak, and even learn how to make Cuban cocktails. A bunch more options out there. Check out gingerandbaker.com calendar for a full list. This place is amazing, guys. Support our friend, Ginger Graham, and treat yourself to a world-class experience at our favorite place, Ginger and Baker. All right, pleased to welcome in Jeff Grammer. I tell you what, while we love Kevin Lytle, who does a great job covering CSU in the Mountain West for the Fort Collins Colorado, and uh, you ask Mike, Steve, or I, and uh, we'll tell you that Jeff is the best there is in the Mountain West and beyond. The Albuquerque Journal, longtime reporter. He's been the beat reporter for the New Mexico Lobos in the Mountain West Conference since 2012. It's a fantastic read in the journal as well as on social media. In 2022, last year, he was named New Mexico Sports Writer of the Year by the National Sports Media Association. And then last month was just named the U.S. Basketball Writers Association uh, Jim O'Connell Award for Beat Writing Excellence winner. So uh, congrats on that, Jeff. We're lucky to have him. Thanks for joining us. He's live from Las Vegas covering the men and women's Mountain West Tournament. So looking forward to uh, get do a little preview here and talking some hoops. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that intro, too. Uh, you got all the awards listed there. You got, got the timeline right. I appreciate that, man. <laughs> I didn't go back very far. So if I'm missing a bunch, uh, you can feel free to chime in. But uh, we've always appreciated your work, buddy. Uh, so last night, I don't know if you were there, but the CSU women got a win over Boise State in their first round game, completing a three game sweep of Boise this year. Uh, just wondering if you were there, if there were any takeaways and no, they weren't there. I don't, I, I wasn't, I haven't been to the Thomas and Mac yet. Um, so I wasn't there for any of that. I, I'll, I'll tell you this, like I, the Mountain West for all the criticisms I sometimes have of it. I do think it's a very good league and I do think it's run for the most part very well, but the tournament, they do really well. I, I think the, the Mountain West pulls off its tournament pretty well every year. Um, you could have some tweaks and stuff like that. But the men's and women's tournaments both always seem to have not just, um, you know, exciting games and stuff like that. Conferences don't really control that. It, it's just run in a way that I, I think the fans really enjoy this event every year. And, and you got to got to give some credit to the league for that. Steve, did you catch any of the game? I did not. I followed it. I listened on the uh, uh, on the radio. I didn't watch it on, on my computer. Um, I it was a little late, and I I go to bed early, so <laughs> I lay in bed and I put my earphones on my <laughs> well my, uh, my earphones on and listen. So I listened to it, and it was it's nice to get a win. We've had you know it's a it's it you never know what we're going to do in the tournament. We've had so many good teams that have gone to the tournament. We had those four straight conference champions during the regular season only one of them won a tournament and uh, uh i'm really hoping ryan can take that team all the way they uh they get wyoming tonight and if we can get past wyoming we match up pretty well with uh with unlv we lost in overtime to them out there and uh, lost a very close game at home to them so i'm looking forward to, to seeing what happens tonight hopefully we can make it out of tonight well yes you lost uh the last game to wyoming right what happened in the first game uh, CSU beat Wyoming by three, I think, in the first game. I think they had a, a late three-pointer okay. um, and then lost by double digits up in Laramie. Okay. So uh, we're, we're recording this late afternoon on Tuesday. So uh, the CSU-Wyoming game is tonight at 730 Mountain. 
Uh, number two seed Wyoming, like we just said, split in the regular season. So it would be really nice to win that rubber match. Give CSU a chance uh, to face the winner of UNLV, San Diego State. Probably going to be UNLV has been really legit this year. But uh, let's let's talk about the men who start play Wednesday. Jeff, are you um, obviously San Diego State is is looking very formidable outside of them. Who are your top challengers? You know, and any surprises you expect to see? Yeah, I mean, you can you can break down this bracket every year in in a, in a variety of ways. I I know it's kind of cliche to say, oh, that's the team nobody wants to play, and and that could be an upset. I I, I do think that the numbers and the history or or the the results from this past season kind of bear out that this year really is a any team any game can kind of have any outcome. I don't think there's a guaranteed outcome. I'm looking at the bracket right now on the screen. I don't think there's really one game I would consider a guaranteed outcome. Um, even, even you know, 6-11 matchups, stuff like that. I don't think there's a guarantee. Now, I know who I think is going to win every game throughout. I And I do, while I say it's a wide open race, I, I do think San Diego State, I'm going to go chalk and say the, the favorite, the, the one seed, will probably, you know, step by step go through and win this thing. But I'll, I'll tell you what, man, like you guys know this better than I, and, and maybe you're more familiar with it. So you have a different opinion, actually. I, I think Isaiah Stevens is a guy that he can control a game so well that why wouldn't a possible eight seed upsetting a one seed in the quarterfinals happen when you have a guy as good as Isaiah Stevens? I, I think there's a couple matchups with the lower level teams where individual players and individual talent can really take over. And in basketball, we all know that, right? One, two, three players can can totally control the month of March for a team. We've seen it in the big dance especially, but in the conference tournament, you know, looking at the schedule, I'll go with the three first day games. I don't know if you want to go game by game, but like I I have who I think is going to win each game. And in each case, it has, it kind of comes down to why I think individual players may or may not carry that team through and and there's a whole lot of good talent on this on the, in this league this year, and a lot of it's on the bottom half of the standings in these lower level teams. I want to know who your daughter has in each of these games. <laughs> <laughs> I need to go get that coin. Better. <laughs> I need to go get that coin. I'm telling you, she's beat me. I, I think it's four out of six years now. The coin is beat me. So. The coin has beat you. <laughs> yep. So um, yeah, she hasn't made picks yet. I I, I need to get them. I need to get them. That's for sure. <laughs> So looking at, you know, you talk about some of those star, the star power that can change a game. Obviously, New Mexico has some of that, right? And Absolutely. Is that a team you think can make a run? And if they do, I mean, it would it would come at the expense of, obviously, you have to get past Wyoming. But then Utah State, which would probably knock out their hopes for the tournament. Yeah, I, I think so. So here, here's what I've said about New Mexico kind of all season, um, really even – over the past month more than 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 the rest of the season when they've been struggling, I, I still believe that their A game it might be the best in the league, and, and that includes San Diego State. I think when they're at their best, their offense can get so good. It's ranked 19th right now in Ken Palm in the country. Um, if they defend just a little, then they can be pretty good. That's why they have the two best wins now tied with Colorado State, who also got the St. Mary's win. But but the two best wins in the entire league, New Mexico ended the 23-game home win streak at St. Mary's in the non-conference. CSU matched that with the road win. 
And then the road win at San Diego State. They ended a 16-game road win streak. The only team that beat the Aztecs in San Diego this year was New Mexico. They did that because their A game is really, really good. They also, frankly, probably should have beat San Diego State a second time. They could have swept the league champion. They were ahead with one second left on the clock. Buzzer Buzzer beater does them in. They were ahead with one second left on the clock against Nevada. Buzzer beater from Keenan Blackshear does them in. You know, they lost a double overtime game at Nevada and Reno with, with a controversial call. They had their chances. Both teams did in regulation and the first overtime. Um, but then, you know, a controversial call. Those are three wins against really good teams that could have gone the Lobos way. You're having a different conversation today. They're not the sixth seed. They might be already on the right side of the bubble with three of those, which all three would have been quad one wins. So they were just that minuscule close from – six seed losing record in conference to probably being on the right side of the bubble today and not even needing a win in the mountain West tournament. Cause they would have had, I mean, they have three right now, so they could have had six quad one wins and they just had three one second changes um, throughout the season. So they're really good when they're good. They can't get to their a game every night though. And that's, that's sort of the problem. And um, you know, you can say that about a lot of teams. I've covered a lot of Lobo teams that had some good offensive players this one, though, I, I truly believe their A game might be as good, if not the best, it's at least as good as, as some of the top teams in this league. Before we keep, you know, the up. other, if I could add something, Jeff, to that, you know, the other thing that I think works in New Mexico's favor and some of the other teams over San Diego State is I think what we typically see in the tournament is that games slow down, they become much more just just like NCAA tournament, they go they slow down, they become more half court oriented games and the, the bench becomes less important. San Diego State's strength has been their bench. They play nine guys, they throw different lineups at you. But if you can catch them in a in a in a tournament game, play really well with your top six, get ahead of them, all of a sudden their subs go out the window. And yeah. uh, and I I think it I I think the pace in in tournament games favors some of these teams that that aren't exactly loaded with depth. Boise State is another one. They don't they almost they play almost six the whole guys. league other than yeah. the state really doesn't have depth. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and so I think you're gonna see, you might see some interesting things in the, in the later rounds in the early rounds. You know, I we'll see what happens. You know, we get what uh, Wyoming and uh, New Mexico to, uh, tomorrow. Yep. Um, I think New Mexico is going to roll. I just think they're going to be ready. And then uh, what? Air Force and uh, UNLV. UNLV without uh, without Gilbert, who's suspended. Um, and Air Force gives them problems, but uh, who knows? And then CSU Fresno. I'm counting on CSU winning. We don't lose to Fresno, um, but of course we didn't lose to Air Force and we didn't lose to San Jose State either until this year. So. Uh, you just don't know. And then if you watch it, do you see what Fresno did in their game? The, they added a game against Chicago State over the weekend, scored 110 points, and made like 20-something threes, which is about a month's worth of work in, for, in uh, the Mountain West forums. Who knows what's going to happen with that? So, Jeff, uh, what I mean, going back to the Lobos real quick, just because that was the last game that CSU concluded their, their home season with, um, what – Obviously, there were some injuries, but what kind of led to their lull this latter part of the year when they lost, what, five out of nine? Or Yeah, I mean, they look, they started 14-0, last team in the country that was undefeated or hadn't lost at the Division One level and then, you know, went with the losing record in, in league play. So, obviously, things didn't go as good the second half of the season as the first. 
Um, I, I would say, first of all, Jalen House missed two of their games, two of their losses. I was surprised at how bad they were without him, but they I, I think coming into the year, they they would have assumed Donovan Denton, the freshman point guard, who, who's still going to be really good, still has a lot of promise. I, I think they would have assumed they could survive a couple Jalen House less games um, at point guard. And uh, they they didn't. They, they were they were pretty bad in those two games. They lost to Air Force without Jalen House. They lost at home to Wyoming. Still, two games that I don't think they should have lost. Um, and it had to do with defense. I, I guess that's where I'm probably most impressed with Jalen House for all his problems. And he's he's not very good off the ball defender. He takes a ton of risks. He gambles defensively. Um, that's why he has so many steals. But at his best defensively. He's disrupting what teams do before they even get their offense started. I think you saw some of that in the December game with CSU, where if, if he's good and he's not fouling, then then I think he's kind of messing up the offense before it even gets going, right? So I I think when he wasn't there, then everybody shifted over. They they put Jamal Masburn Jr. at the point. Jamal Masburn Jr. is not a point guard. They they kind of had KJ Jenkins on the two guard. He's good off the bench in short stints. Um, some of that stuff really just affected them in those two losses. Now, in the other losses, it was really only Utah State that they weren't competitive in. And, you know, they they actually won the second half and played pretty well, made it look closer than it was. But, man, Nevada twice, they could have, and maybe I think you could argue in both cases, really probably should have closed out both of those games as wins. They could have had a sweep against San Diego State. Um, Boise State on the road, they they let it get away with from them in the second half. But if you look at every one of their games, even in a loss, they put up the most points on their opponent, I think, six times this year. Um, they put up the most points in Boise in like four or five years, the most points in San Diego in three years. Their offense isn't, hasn't been the problem. They just can't defend and get a stop in the second half to to save their life. And, you know, even with Dave Pilipovich on staff, a lot of their problem has been backdoor cuts. It's like Princeton, 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 Air Force Every team looks like Air Force against the Lobos in the second half where they just can't seem to really stop backdoor cuts. That I noticed that in the CSU game. I think Mashburn got caught yeah. looking the wrong way a few times. Yeah, it's it's really weird because it's it, it is something that obviously Pilipovich knows how to coach because because he's coached coached it and he's the assistant to the head coach. But yeah, they they know what's coming. Um I, I haven't really got the sense. Sometimes, you know, in an honest moment, the assistant coaches or coaches might tell me, you know, after a press conference, yeah, we, we didn't see that coming. I, I don't think they've got the sense yet that anything caught them off guard this year. I mean, it's not like Isaiah Stevens, even with 13 assists, did anything that they're like, oh, we didn't know he could do that. No, they knew he could do it. They just couldn't stop <laughs> it. You know, and, and a lot of these games that they've lost, I think they knew what was coming and, and just couldn't stop it everyone hates to draw UNLV in this tournament, obviously, right? Home, home court and, and all, are they a team this year that might be able to get hot and, and knock a couple of teams off or are they still just not there yet? I, I don't think they're there yet. Um, I, what, what surprises me most about UNLV is this year, I thought their defense would be really good. I, I assumed defense would be good. I didn't know who would score for them. And then here we are, like they're, they can't stop anybody on defense either as of late. So you know, you know, I I really think if we're talking again, kind of game by game predictions, which I'm horrible at, so maybe this is the kiss of death. I think Air Force knocks off UNLV um, tomorrow. I, I think the Colorado State beats Fresno State, and I think New Mexico beats Wyoming. So 
you know, again, kiss of death for all three of those schools. But I, I just don't think – I think maybe the most telling thing about UNLV and where they are right now is that on their last home game, on their senior night – now, I know what they did just the other day in their final game in Reno, but their last home game, Webster gets on the mic apparently, and, and like I, I saw a tweet about it. I, I wasn't watching it. But one of their players gets on the microphone and apologizes to the fans on their senior night, their last home game of the year, and just says, you know – when a player is apologizing on senior night to the fans, man, you, your team's not playing very well right now, and some things are going pretty bad. So now they turned around and ended up knocking off Nevada the other night in Reno in a rivalry game. But their last home game, a player was apologizing to the fans, and that that told me an awful lot about kind of where they are right now. You know, I think one of the one of the interesting things, of course, is they may have seniors, but they're all fifth year seniors playing their first year at UNLV. It's really yeah. not much of a senior night with a lot of passion for. For the name on the front of the jersey, I don't think they've had the time to really develop that under Kruger. They have too many new players, and every year it looks like they're going to bring in new players for a while. So It's an interesting case study, too, and, and there were four new coaches one year ago, right? I cover one of them in Patino. He, he did it with transfers, but he also mixed in freshmen that are kind of going to be a part of the program for a while. But he did it with with transfers who weren't leaving after one year. This year, Morris Daisy was a one-year guy, but – you know, House and Mashburn can both come back another year if they want to. Um, the transfer he got this year, Josiah Alec can come back next year. So he was doing it with guys that weren't going to be one and done and gone. Kruger very much went with the let's go get whoever in the Big 12 wants to play for us. We'll take them, even if it's just a one-year kind of rent-em sort of uh, deal. And then, you know, Ryan Odom was a new coach, did fine. And uh, Tim Miles has, has done great at San Jose State. I, I will say that, like, what Patino inherited – now, he, he benefited greatly from bringing Jamal Mashburn Jr. from Minnesota, and then he got House um, from Arizona State. But what he inherited was absolutely nothing. The, the best player he inherited is um, Javante Johnson, who, who's probably the sixth best player on, on this team, I think, maybe seventh. Um, Tim Miles inherited Mountain West Player of the Year, Omari Moore. You know, Kruger inherited Bryce Hamilton last year, and uh, – Odom at Utah State, he inherited a couple pretty good players, including Justin Bean last year. So I, I like what, what Patino did in terms of he brought in two instant impact guys last year, but they weren't really building for last year. They were building for this year and beyond, and I think it worked out for him. Now, it could have backfired on him, and they could have been bad last year and then bad again this year, and fans wouldn't have come back. But I will say this about the way UNM and Patino have, have sort of recruited in their first two years is – is they did a good mix of getting some young guys that will be here for a few years. And then the transfers, none of the transfer, well, three of the four major transfers all had extended years, multiple years to play at UNM, not just one and done kind of guys. What do you think about uh, Timmy Miles, coach of the year, getting to face Nevada here? What are his yeah, it, it's interesting because, first of all, he's coach of the year. I voted for him. I, I'm fine with him, him getting it. I, I am okay with sort of the – when it comes to coach of the year, I do think the, the coach of the champion usually gets overlooked so often. And and it's probably unfair to – you know, I, I won't say this often, but like San Diego State probably has a little bit of a gripe when it comes to their coaches not actually winning coach of the year very often because they're always expected to do good. Well, that's okay to be expected to do good and still do it. Like that's still a good coaching job. But – Tim Miles should should win it this year. I'm okay with that. I, I think you could make a case for a couple other guys, you know, Leon Rice even. They lost a lot from last year. I, I think some other guys you can make a case for. Um, what I'll say about Tim Miles in his first-round matchup with Nevada, 
they have not been good against Steve Alford's Nevada for about six games in a row now. I, I looked just earlier today, like the past three years, they haven't been good. I think, I think um, if I remember correctly, I think he's 4-0 against Tim Miles, Steve Alford's Nevada is. And and I, I think back in the day, New Mexico was pretty good against Tim Miles' CSU games. They, they might just have a really good matchup, coaching matchup against them. All that said, San Jose State's playing way better than Nevada right now. They have the best player on the court. If you're telling me Omari Moore is the coaches and media pick for player of the year, like they're playing with house money at San Jose State right now. They have nothing to lose. Nevada loses that game. They're not going to the NCAA tournament in my mind. So there's some pressure. And uh, I don't know who for sure I think is going to win that game just yet. But even with the recent history of Nevada kind of taking it to San Jose State the last three or four times they've played, I'll tell you what, San Jose State has nothing – left to prove at this point they they've already accomplished everything this season that that you know every feather in the cap they've already got it from my perspective i i like nevada to to kind of beat san jose state take them out and probably by 10 points they have one thing going for them in terms of a, a, a matchup of uh blackshear on uh, amari moore yeah you can put a big guard on a big guard and that's the one way to slow the guy down you can't stop him with a six foot guard you have to put height with height with them and I think they can get at him. Steve, you know Timmy pretty well. From what I understand, he's not a big fan of Alford, so I wonder if that sticks in his craw, the, the <laughs> historical lack of success against him. Well that might be why he doesn't like him. I don't know. But, yeah. You know the other the other thing of course, you know, Tim really wanted that New Mexico job. <laughs> there are people, there got people it. here that still talk about you know there's people here open about they don't dislike Patino. I think everybody, he's won over the people that didn't like him. I'm not sure there's people that dislike him here. Some may still, the jury may still be out for some, but there's some people here that are still pretty open about they, they wanted Tim Miles. Yeah. What's interesting is I know New Mexico talked to him um, and I know they did interview him and they gave the job to Patino and that's fair. Um, the one that actually shocked me and surprised me is I think he would have taken the UNLV job and I don't think they even bothered talking to him at uh, at UNLV, and you can't tell me that Kevin Kruger's a better coach than Tim Miles. Well, not this year, right? Yeah. Nope. Now, Jeff, I know you, you you really follow the Mountain West closely. You follow all the teams. You do a great job. When you look at, at CSU and, and Wyoming, two teams that were, were picked preseason to be in the upper half that finished in the – I mean, Wyoming last and CSU having to win that final game to not finish – you know, second to last, when you look at their seasons, the injuries and everything, I mean, what what really comes across, like, what can, how that can change for next year? First of all, my big takeaway with those two teams and the injuries is disappointment in getting to see what Isaiah Stevens, like, we, we, see, we saw it by the end, right? But, like, he didn't get to have – I wanted to see him without David Roddy. I wanted people to be reminded that this was the freshman of the year that probably, at least in terms of an attention standpoint, took a took a backseat to David Roddy last year when he was still the best point guard in the league. Um, he proved it again this year. I wish he wasn't injured early. I wish the other injuries didn't hamper the whole CSU roster to the point where he wasn't able really to, to lead a team the way I wish he could have. Because, you know... He, he's a special player that that I think when you look back in 10 years, you look at about a four-year span of Isaiah Stevens, there's not a whole lot of guys in this league 
that, that you could say had a better four-year college career than what Isaiah Stevens did. Same with the guy like Hunter Maldonado, who I know is in year eight or nine or 12. <laughs> right. And like, but, but Hunter's a guy I wanted to see, you know, kind of if, if he gets his swan song season, man, give him Graham E.K. Let's see how good a, a Wyoming team can be when it's not just lightning in a bottle, really. They had actually built this for a couple of years into that. They had two years anyway, last year, going into this year. Like, you don't get that a lot at Wyoming. It, it, it's hard to do that with players not leaving after a year. And, like, I really wanted to see how good those two teams could be because they had special players and a little momentum, I thought, from last year. And that's what bugs me about that. I I, I wonder now, you know, how, how good can either of those two teams be next year with the transition? I, I think they have pieces. I think CSU probably more than Wyoming, um, depending on what EK does. I, I have no idea. But, like, CSU probably has some pieces that they can build on. I, I just – man, you're losing a star. And even with that star, you know, you, you end up – what is it, an eight seed. And, man, it just bums me out that those two teams, who I thought could have both been NCAA tournament teams this year, they're at the bottom half of the standings, and, and people didn't get to appreciate them. But bothers me a little bit because I do like this league when it's good. I like this league when there's four or five teams that can be in that NCAA tournament discussion. And those two teams should have been it. You know, speaking of Isaiah, you know, we're 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 kind of on pins and needles here because it's not official that he's not coming back next right. year. Um, and uh, there's no indication either way. I think, you, you know, he can go a whole variety of different directions. I was just curious from your perspective, what do you think is going to happen with Jalen House? I know he can come back for one more year, but he checked out the NBA last year, didn't he? So, I mean, he did it's, about it's, um, I'd say about a month or six weeks ago, I, I would have said he was leaving and not necessarily for the NBA, but not a big fan of school. Um Go make a bit more money in, in the G League. Go make a little bit of money wherever he's going to go make money. I actually think, and this is something I had a conversation in Fort Collins last week, um, right before the game with somebody about the the collect the NIL collective, um, 505 Sports Ventures is what Albuquerque or UNM's collective is. They've done a really good job. And and I'm telling you, they might, this is the world we're in now, right? The, the discussions you have to have about players coming back. They might be able to come up with enough to make it attractive uh, for Jalen to come back one more year. Um, I think he can get about what he could get in the G League if he stays one more year. Now, what what does that mean long-term for the Lobos, though? They have a, a freshman point guard. That's the future, they say. Does that affect him sticking around? And then do you have to weigh pros and cons? I think you'll, you know, on the surface, you'll, you'll say, of course, I'll take Jalen House back. But at what expense to if the freshman then leaves and goes back to California? Um I, I do think that there's some decisions to be made. Morrissey Davis is the only Lobo that can't come back. Um, but Josiah Alec, a senior, went through senior night but can come back. Mashburn's going to come back, would be my guess. He he and his dad are so loyal to the Patino family and to, to Richard Patino that I, I think I think Mashburn's coming back. And, um, you know, they might lose, like, K.J. Jenkins off the bench because K.J.'s a guy that could get – 30 minutes a game is only getting about 15 a game because he plays behind Jalen house and plays behind Jamal Mashburn jr. But uh, I, I think house at this point, if I'm going, you know, 50, 50 or, or putting a percentage on it, I, I'm leaning actually towards house coming back now. And I wouldn't have said that um, just a month ago. I think house comes back. Mashburn comes back and uh, Josiah Alec comes back. So I, I think they're all going to come back 
the the big question is those two point guards though the, the freshman Donovan Dent and then the senior Jalen House. Um, I don't think they're all coming back, but right now I would lean towards the starters are all coming back. I was, I was impressed with Dent's game on on Friday night. You know, coming in, he made some yeah. good drives, made some big buckets to to really keep New Mexico in that game. So his his big problem, Donovan Dent's big problem this year was he was great for about six weeks, and everybody saw this saw what a lot of the coaches realized I, th- I think going into the year and I picked him freshman of the year going into the year because if you talk to coaches around this league I think most of them would have would have voted for him too the coaches don't do the preseason poll um and he looked the part for a long time then kind of hit a hit a freshman wall he really was affected more than most I think freshmen in terms of once another team got film on him I don't think he had a whole lot of film on him in high school I don't think he had a whole lot of film on him once people started taking away what he was really good at He's not a great outside shooter. And so once player, once teams started backing off him, he's like, what are they? I don't understand this. Like he, I don't think it had ever happened to him before in his life. So people would sag off him because he's not a good three-point shooter and it would take away his driving a little bit. He got the driving back about two weeks ago where he could attack the rim and he was doing it at CSU pretty well. When he plays confident, I'm telling you, this guy's going to be an all-league player down the road if, if he's still at UNM. He's going to be an all-league, all-mountain West point guard um, he, he just really hit about a might, might have been the middle two months or about, about the middle month and a half where he hit a wall and he just wasn't very productive. Yeah, we I mean we had the same thing with Tavy Jackson here. You yeah. know, he had that injury, foot injury, and then got sick. And so we saw the same thing. A lot of a lot of great stuff early on. And like you said, people teams getting film on him, changing their their uh approach to him, putting a little bit more pressure on him. So that he couldn't, you know, do his dribble and get by him. So I mean, it's been fun. Like you, I love to see the Mountain West strong from top to bottom. So it's great seeing young talent like there at UNM. Hey, before we move on, I want to ask you or one other comment about Isaiah Stevens because Steve, I know you had sent a note earlier today, a little text, but uh, just before we started this call, it looked like um, they announced uh, that Isaiah was a first team vote by the coaches. And uh, Steve, what you were saying was that um, he's only the second player in history of the Mountain West to be voted all Mountain West in all four years by the coaches. And the only other was Y.O.'s Brandon Ewing. So that's a pretty, pretty cool honor. Very, very. I couldn't find anybody else. I did some research and I couldn't find anybody else. You had a lot of three-year guys, the Sam Merrill's, the Jimmer Fredettes, all those guys. But Isaiah is the first since, uh, since Brandon Ewing. Very cool. And very deserving too. I'm, I'm glad that nobody outthought how good he is and said, okay, where is he in the standings? Um, reward winning is fine. If you want to load up, you know, the league champion and a bunch of their players, fine. But, like, don't overthink it. He's a, he's a damn good player. Vote, vote him pretty high. Did you well, think- you know, the, the, the one thing that, that Jeff, uh, I wanted to share with you, I don't know if you saw it, but uh... – you know, I talked to Isaiah after the game on uh, the the UNM game, and I had given him I had given him some serious crap uh, after the the previous home game against Wyoming when he finished with 12 assists, and it was like the fifth time in his career that he couldn't break 12 assists. And I went up to him and said, "What's going on, man? When are you going to get to 13?" He goes, "I don't know, man. I just can't seem to get it." He spent entire senior night. If you couldn't tell. All he wanted was 13 assists. He was he made some dumb plays, and he knew it where he should have shot and he overpassed. 
created a you know, threw the ball away because he's tried to get assists. But that was the only thing on his mind was to get 13 assists. And, you know, that I, to me, that shows how good he is because he's going against a pretty good defender and he's still torching him to the, to the tune of, uh, you know, distributing the ball as well as he did. So, I mean, that was something. Do you think uh, Chris Murray might've been a little over his skis on his <laughs> pick uh, as Isaiah as a third teamer? <laughs> yeah, and, and look, I'll, I'll I'll I give credit to any media member or coach if they want to. Put that'll, put their ball, that'll put their ballot out there. But man, I put your ballot out there. You you get to you get to hear the good and the bad about it. <laughs> and I I strongly disagree. I, I Isaiah first team for me. Um, you know, I, I had some other picks that I'm sure people would disagree with, but I, Isaiah first team w- was a no brainer to me. Um, I, I don't. Again, I don't know if you're just out thinking yourself a little bit, yeah. and uh, when you're looking at standings or whatever you want to do, Isaiah's a first teamer in this league. Who? Um... Yeah, we we kind of attributed it to uh, the Jay Norvell uh, <laughs> syndrome. Could be. Could have been. Could have been. What? J- just looking one more time here at the bracket uh, before we move yeah. on a little bit is who of the teams that uh, had the first round by? So uh, San Diego State, Boise State. Um, and who am I missing? <laughs> uh, it was the third Utah team. State. What? Utah State. At the Utah State. Yeah. yeah. Um, who of those do you think is most susceptible for a, uh, a loss in that round? Uh, um, probably Utah State, even though they were so comfortable in their win against New Mexico. I, I do think that New Mexico, again, for the reasons I said earlier, when they're at their best, it's not so much what you can do to stop them. Um, they're so good offensively. Utah State is too, by the way, offensively. Um, but but when New Mexico's at its best, it's 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 hard to combat. There's a reason that if you look at these standings, they they were a buzzer beater with the lead, not a tie, but a buzzer beater away from sweeping the one seed. They were a buzzer beater and a double overtime loss away from sweeping Nevada, the four seed, but they actually went 0-2 against them. They beat Boise State and then lost at Boise State. So they went one and one against them. You know, the best teams in the league, New Mexico was the best against. And they were actually not as good against all these day one kind of teams. So I think New Mexico is, I, I know I cover them, but man, they're they're the team that I, I think you get probably pretty upset about if you're a coach and you see a six seed New Mexico coming in and a six seed Jamal Mashburn, Junior, Jalen House, Morrison Daisy kind of, team coming in like I'd be pretty upset if I was Utah State and knew that my uh my reward for earning that three seed and being on the NCAA tournament bubble is is having to beat New Mexico how many teams have you looked kind of at uh what might happen in this tournament and how it could impact how many number of teams make it to the NCAA tournament you have a prediction on how many yeah, we'll know, get three yeah. four I, so San Diego State and Boise State are both in in my mind I don't trust um, Nevada or or Utah State right now as being in. I know they're, I think, I can't remember which one. I think Utah State's more comfortably in and in more brackets right now um, after that win against Boise State the other night. But you can't tell me that like the Michigans of, of the Big Ten and whatever team in the SEC picks up a couple of wins. You, you just can't convince me that if Utah State and Nevada both lose in the Mountain West quarterfinals, that those two teams are going to get in when you know there's a, an eighth place big 10 team out there. That's, it's probably going to pick up a win or two. So I, I would say that right now, Nevada losing to San Jose state, which it could, 
could happen. Um, I, again, the history shows otherwise. But if Nevada doesn't get that win, I don't think they're in the tournament. If Utah State doesn't beat Wyoming or New Mexico, whoever it ends up being, like they're in trouble too. So I, of those top teams, like Utah State's playing so good when they're kind of like New Mexico when their offense is running, it, it's it's hard to stop them. But they haven't shown a whole lot outside of Logan. You know, they they don't have a lot of true road wins. Um, this is neutral court, but. They haven't shown a whole lot of that outside of Logan. So I think Utah State's kind of uh, in a tough spot to to expect that they're just going to beat the six seed and uh, Nevada beating the five seed. I, I don't think they can expect it. I think they will beat the five seed, but I don't think they can just kind of expect it to happen. You've covered the league for almost a dozen years. And um, I'm trying to think what years like Jimmer were there and Kawhi Leonard. I think it was just before that. Um, 11. Yeah, 11. 10, 11. Those guys were 10, 11, and, and I think those teams, you know, top heavy wise, those teams were better. They, they were be- the leagues might have been better at the top. I think to, uh, 2013, um, when they got five out of nine teams in the tournament, and that was the year the Lobos won it. Um, big game 46 points from, from Kendall Williams at, in Fort Collins and the Colt Iverson team and, and all that. Like that, that team or that year to me was deeper and, and better overall than this year's. Um, just be, just from a top to bottom sense, and I, I kind of had a question about this in the reader mailbag I did the other day. Top to bottom, I like that 2013 season better for the Mountain West because I out of nine teams, I think eight were really good. Nevada that year was was the bottom and and not very good, but I think eight out of nine teams were really good teams that year. And um, this year, it, again, your 11 seed is Wyoming, who's in the NCAA tournament last year, and I know they have an injury with Grand Mike, but they still have. Hunter Maldonado and, and they've, they've knocked off some teams in the past two weeks that that tell me they can be pretty good. And if that's your bottom, one fifty two in Ken Palm, like that, that's a pretty good league this year. So I, I like the depth this year of the Mountain West. I don't know if it has the star power at the top. San Diego State's your your best team, and the ratings look okay. All the computers, but like who's their star? You know, I, they don't have a Kawhi Leonard and a Jimmer Fredette just kind of want to shift gears because I've been curious about this and I don't follow it super closely, but what, what can you tell us? I've just been kind of fascinated by what the hell is going on with New Mexico state. I know you're an alumnus there and have covered this a little bit, but uh, they shut down the basketball program. There's a shooting and all sorts of crazy stuff going on. Yeah. It's a summary and where we're at with that. It's what a mess, right? I mean, that that's the main takeaway is like, what the heck is going on down there? Um, the the shooting first of all the shooting back in November is kind of where you got to start right they got a new first year head coach and Greg Hire who never coached at the D one level this year um, or until this year won a junior college national championship comes in back in October the the Lobo Aggie football game there's a big brawl there involving some basketball players no discipline um, really certainly not publicly was was meted out there and then we find out come November. Some UNM students that that were on the the receiving end of that beating that was on video and social media, mm. one of the students that, that got beat up pretty good there had been kind of plotting for a month, get his revenge on on an Aggie basketball player and sets up with his friends. Um, when he finds out this girl they knew, a UNM student, this girl they knew, who had been talking with this Aggie basketball player for a while, um, she had invited him over to see him, kind of independent of this whole setup. But when they found that out. They said, okay, that's our chance. He's coming to campus. Mike Peak is the Aggie basketball player. 3 a.m., um, they were in Albuquerque. 
for uh, for the rivalry game with the Lobos. And at 3 a.m., he's going to UNM's campus to uh, hook up with the girl. They played at 5 that day. So 14 hours later, they were supposed to play the rivalry game. And um, he goes to campus. These students, led by one guy who got beat up pretty good at the football game a month prior, basically said, all right, we're, we're going to go jump him. Uh, they brought a baseball bat. They were going to jump him, beat the crap out of him. And he brings a gun. The other two say they they never had any intention of a gun being involved. Um, as a result, uh, Mike Peak, the Aggie basketball player, pulls out a gun that he brought, which is sort of a whole nother element of, wait, he, he was on a road trip. with He brought a gun on a road trip. Obviously, he can't do that if they were flying, but because this was a bus ride, he brought a gun on this uh, team trip. He had snuck out, obviously, from the team hotel. He had snuck out earlier in the night, come back. A coach saw him, said, get to your room. He'd snuck out a second time. Multiple players were out. He pulls out his gun, shoots and kills the the guy who set up the uh, we want to jump him for revenge for the revenge plot for the football um, fight from a from a month prior, and um, gets in communication with three teammates who are all three also snuck out of their team hotel. They show up on the scene. They were at a, a it's my understanding kind of I don't know if it's a party but a, a get together at three a.m. Um, nearby near campus and they show up on the scene and take a couple things including the gun from Mike Peak who who got shot in the leg Mike Peak then waits for you know police to get there and the next day we find out he he gets shot in the leg his gun wasn't at the scene police are looking for it they talk to the team coach they want to talk to the players the the team left town before police were able to interview them I, I do think it's in fairness to New Mexico State in this regard I think it's been a little bit probably, I don't want to say portrayed incorrectly because they did leave town before they talked and, and police made clear we want to talk to them. Um, it wasn't at any point like police said, you can't leave. And I, I know a local TV station certainly portrayed because it was worded this way in a police report in fairness to the TV station. But um, the story was sort of portrayed as they were getting out of town on the team bus speeding down the interstate and the police had to put their sirens on to chase them down, met them at a, at a road uh, or at a uh, rest stop um, a couple hours outside of Albuquerque. Um, that's not, there wasn't exactly a chase. Um, once they left town, they, they got in touch with them on the bus said, can you pull over? We're coming. And they did. They got the gun. Um, they actually got the Mike Peake's cell phone the next day, happened to be at a, a NMSU administrator's house. Coaches weren't talking to police anymore. There was a, a point in the next week when NMSU didn't suspend any players initially, by the way. They played UTEP, another rival of theirs. That day, police go to the NMSU coach's office, say, hey, we got to talk to these players. We have a search warrant. We need their phone records. Greg Heyer on, on the lapel cam of the police officers can be seen and heard saying, I don't know how to get a hold of them. Like, you don't know where your players are? You have a game tonight, right? He says, yeah, I don't know where they are. He said, okay, well, can you get a hold of them for us? And the head coach says, no, I don't know how to get a hold of them, which, which at that point, you're you're not just kind of protecting your players if in any way that's what you think you're doing. You're, you're at that point not helping a, a an investigation, and, and you get in trouble for that. But they didn't. There, there really wasn't a whole lot of punishment even at that point, but administrators at NMSU were starting to get embarrassed. I'm starting to, to I guess just get embarrassed is, is the best way to say it, and they stepped in, bought a paid for a third party law firm to come in and investigate that. That's all enough, right? Like that's a good enough story for, you know, a whole lot of meat on the bone to chew on there for a while. Um, but then you find out a couple of weeks ago, 
I was courtside at, at the Air Force game. The Lobos are playing Air Force. And, and I get a text about NMSU's canceling their game tomorrow night. This was a Friday night. They had a game in California on a Saturday night. And they canceled the game, not for COVID or any other reason like that. They just said, no, we're, we're going back to Cruces for something. Didn't say what it was initially. The next day, we find out it was hazing. Um, a, a freshman on the team accused three older players of of hazing him all season long in front of teammates. Is my understanding and talking to people down there is this is the kind of hazing that probably a lot of teams do initially at, at some level of of freshmen and kind of just giving the freshmen a hard time, maybe even physical sometimes getting pushing them a little bit. So whatever, just stupid boys will be boys locker room kind of stuff. But even whatever extent of you're okay with that saying and those phrases which we really can't be okay with that anymore, right? But what, even whatever level of acceptance you might understand, teams still kind of go through some sort of hazing process of young players. This went well beyond that. This went to taking pants off and slapping and, and doing other things to naked players in showers and stuff like that. Um, when this was brought to the attention of the player's people around the player, like family, I would say, around that player, they said, no, this isn't okay. This isn't freshman hazing. This is not okay. They contacted the school. Um, I don't think got the response they wanted, so they went to police. And when police got involved, police then tell school administrators, not just athletic directors and coaches and stuff like that, when school administrators and board of regents hear this is going on and nothing's being done about it, they said, get get that team back here right now from California. We're going to talk to every player before we let them play again. Within 48 hours of the decision to cancel the game, they said, no, we're canceling the whole season at this point. And, uh, they're still investigating. Um, to date, the only discipline that has been handed out is the coach has been fired. Did not make it one year, Greg Heyer. And um, he's been fired, all assistant and staff, um, still on contract right now. The while they said they they discontinued basketball operations at NMSU, they're actually going through individual workouts now. There's there's a guy down there, Casey Owens. He was a head coach in the in the G League back when it was still the D League. Coached overseas this past year. Um, he 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 knows basketball well. He was an assistant for Chris Jans. He's now running some individual workouts for some players. So they haven't entirely shut down basketball. I guess entirely. They're at least letting him do that with these players. But they won't play again this year. Their season's over. And uh, it's a mess, and there's still a whole lot to be determined. And frankly, they got a coaching search now, right? And I don't know who's running it. Mario Mocha, the athletic director down there, I like him a lot. Talk with him regularly. He's the guy that hired the previous coach. He was let. He was the guy that hired the, all the all the coaches there for several years, and they've all sort of paid off, but they all came with risk. It is a uh, you know Jerry Kill. Nobody else was hiring Jerry Kill to be a football coach. NMSU took a risk on him, and it paid off. They won a bowl game this year. The women's coach they just hired this year got fired at a previous job for some player conduct issues. Um, he's taking chances on coaches. The the by definition, the, the risk reward factor of of taking risks is that sometimes the bad side of it is what happened at NMSU. They they can't just always be you know high payoff. And uh, this one I, you got bit pretty bad this year NMSU on taking risks on coaches because there wasn't a whole lot of leadership. Um, never at any point did I get the impression down there that like they were just uh, the management of the team and the program w was in very good hands. And, and uh, I think there's still going to be a lot of fallout. I, I don't know who they hired to replace him, 
But man, there's there's still a lot to come in that Hazen scandal. It's like a Dateline episode or a Lifetime movie. Yeah. It, it's unbelievable. And uh, and yeah. this is the program that's been a mainstay in the NCAA tournament too. So to see this yeah. happen and see a program shut down temporarily is is nuts. But yeah, thanks for the rundown, man. Uh, you you've done a great job covering that. Uh, as an alum, as an alum, yeah, and I, I've I've read a lot of your your pieces on it. As an alum, like, what does that do to you? I know, like, for me, if that happened to CSU, like, I would, it would yeah. crush me. I, I like, I couldn't even tell you how upset I would be, whether pulling donations or or what, right. giving up tickets. I'll I'll tell you this. I mean, first of all, it, it is embarrassing. I mean, there, there's a certain level of embarrassment. I guess where I'm a little conflicted in, in how I even wrap my mind around this is um, they have a guy on staff down there who's a good friend of mine from when I went to school there, um, a, a really close friend of mine who has coached both at NMSU and UNM and, and now runs a local um, AAU kind of team here in Albuquerque. Like, you know, he's really close with the program. I've gotten to a point where because I, I went there – they're at the team I cover primarily, so I can still kind of be pretty friendly with a lot of these coaches and not ever have to, I guess, piss them off by writing about all their losses and all that. Well, I've written about a lot of this stuff. I probably have pissed them off. Um, like, I, I'm to a point now where I know a lot of the people involved. I, I know the kid who's made the hazing allegations. I, I, I knew him when he was really, really young. Um, I know his, his family. And it, it's a weird spot because it's not just – from a distance, the school I went to is involved in the scandal. It is now to the point where, because of, you know, I read the police documents and all that, and I know the people, it, it's something that, so before I did, uh, before I had the job at the journal, I'm um, covering mobile basketball. I, I had done some sports reporting in the past. I'd done some crime reporting. And, and at one point during my crime reporting days, I was covering a trial. And, and I remember how mad the daughter of this, I, I want to say seven or eight time drunk driver who killed somebody, um, how mad she was at me for reporting on it. You know, why don't you ever write about something good? And it was sort of a, well, I'm the crime reporter. You're, you're probably talking to the wrong guy. But um, but it made me realize like even the people that screw up, like they're people, and and it's so easy for me as a reporter to write about names that I see in a police report and write about people I don't know. But man, this one start this one hit hard um this year because I know the guys involved. I know the guys pretty well who are being accused of doing wrong. I know the guys pretty well who maybe are accused of being the vi or you know might be the victims too. This one this one kind of hits weird because it's not just my school. It's like I, I know the I know the names that haven't been reported yet. And uh it sucks, man. It it really does. It sucks. Um I, I do hope for better days ahead for new mexico state but and I, I can't deny either though they've taken a lot of chances on players and coaches through the years and uh man it just seemed to a lot of stuff came to a head this year that's uh from you know from my it's it's so tough watching something like that and uh new mexico such a proud program over the years yeah. i mean i remember them from the from the 60s and 70s when i was yeah. a kid some great teams back then. Um, but, you know, I guess the other thing is it makes you appreciate, you know, uh, a Nico Medved program where our biggest controversy on a road trip is uh, whether you get the Doritos or the Haagen-Dazs at 7-Eleven after the game. You know, I, I, it's, a, it's a different world with guns. I'm, and really I know is. they exist. And it's just sad that uh, 
things like that uh, uh, get so wrapped into the whole college basketball and even professional basketball scene as we've seen recently. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, just your writing and stuff, Jeff, you know, the, the, the thing that uh, I appreciate, you know, you do a great job, obviously game reporting, but this whole empty the notebook concept that you do is I think as good as anything, anything in the business in terms of providing extra added perspective onto, uh, onto a game, how long does it take for you to actually do that? Um, it's got to take a while to throw all that stuff together. Yeah, it does. And, and I've had a couple emptying the notebook discussions with people this year. I, I talked with the student, um, San Jose State, talked with the student journalist somewhere else, excuse me, about kind of the origin of emptying the notebook. So, like, man, I'm lucky, man. I get paid to go watch basketball, right? And I still get to travel. I get to go to all the games. But I was getting so frustrated with this idea of, as a print journalist especially, like, you know, I, I'm writing a 12 or 15-inch story every time and with later games. Sometimes I don't even get quotes. And that was it. And then the next day I might write a follow-up and everything was about print. I had so much stuff that wasn't getting out to readers or listeners or whatever. And so I started a podcast when I could. I I started doing more online stuff that wasn't getting in print. And Emptying the Notebook basically just started with, you know, I'm putting a lot of stuff on Twitter that never goes in print. Obviously, you can't tweet in print. So I just started kind of this concept of sometimes I tweet a picture that's interesting at a game that's never going to end up in a game story. But man, why, why am I not sharing, finding a way to share all that stuff? So that's where it started was I just wanted a way to, I, I don't want people in Albuquerque ever questioning who to come to for Lobo basketball coverage. I, I got a lot of information. I have a lot, I'm lucky. I have a lot of access to these guys. So how do I get more out there to people? And that's where it started. And then I will say this about emptying the notebook. It does take a while every night, but a lot of the the content in there is repeated content. It is kind of like an SID might have to update notes, game notes after every game where this player stats or that player stats. Um, a lot of it, I use game after game. And so it's not like new. The entire thing isn't new, start from scratch every single time, but you have to, you know, kind of gear it towards the game that was just played. Otherwise it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So yeah, it, it can take several hours um, at times, but, uh, and, and sometimes I go home, take a nap and wake up and do it. Sometimes I do it and try and get it done before I go to sleep and I'm dozing off at the computer sometimes, but, um, it, it is the single most commented on and feedback and all that kind of stuff thing that I do is emptying the notebook. I get more feedback on that than anything I do. And, and I love it. I love that people read it. I, I love that coaches read it because I had a coach's wife tell me once, he'll never tell you this, but he reads it. Every morning, if you don't have it posted at a certain time, like he asks if I'd seen it yet. So I love, I love, it. I love hearing stuff like that too. Coaches that'll never tell me they read it. One of their wives told me oh, he reads it every morning. Hey, what are your so, sources saying? Anything, anything about uh, San Diego State leaving the conference? You, yeah, I think it's done. I, I, I think they're so their their AD. I think is kind of whether intentional or not. You know, JD Wicker's kind of. Uh, I think tipped his, his cap to boosters and, and, and groups there that, that it's a done deal. They're just now waiting for the official sort of invite, but it's done. The San Diego state part of it's done. Now beyond that, I don't know. I, I frankly don't even know for sure. I'm not convinced that the PAC 12 is worth going to over the mountain West. 
depending on what happens with some of the other Pac-12 schools. We, we, if we know for sure that Arizona and Arizona State are sticking in the Pac-12, still a pretty good conference to go to. If Arizona and Arizona State aren't, aren't in the Pac-12, if something happens with that, well, I don't know if the Pac-12 is going to end up you know, being any better than, than what the Mountain West could become. So kind of need to see what shoe falls with the Arizona schools in my mind. So I know that uh, I, I comment on, on your Twitter feed often about one of the greatest movies of all time. That's right. La Bamba. Now, is it really a, a story about Richie Valens, is, or is it a story about brotherly love, or is it a redemption story about Bob? <laughs> All three. You guys are going to be blown away by this. I have, in the past couple months, talked to somebody who was in that movie. She lives in Las Cruces, and Mario Mocha, the athletic director at NMSU, um, found out that she is Richie Valens' niece. And she was actually one of the kids in that movie, in one of the scenes in that movie, um, playing her mom, which was Richie Valens' younger sister at the time. He's in the backyard playing the guitar. She's in this movie. He's like, you will not believe who I'm about to put you on the phone with. So I talked to her. I had no idea who it was. Find out all this stuff. And she loves all this. So I talked to her about the very question you're asking me. And and I said, like, it seems to me to be way more a story about two brothers and and maybe even a story about Bob more than Richie th- than a story about Richie Valens. And she said, yeah, it, it is. She their family looks at it as as a story about Richie and Bob more than they look at it as a story about Richie Valens. And and that's the family. And she just said, you know, Isai Morales and who played Bob and, and uh, Lou Diamond Phillips, obviously his breakthrough role. Like they did great, but she just said Isai Morales nailed um, his portrayal of Bob, and it was just fantastic. They, they said the family says that's Bob, that is him, and uh, I I'm telling you that was one of the best moments. I won a pretty cool award this year, and the it doesn't compare to me talking to somebody <laughs> who was in La Bamba, and and <laughs> as crazy as it sounds, I got those two calls the same day. My wife can tell you. I got the the call that I won this this uh, beat writing award from the U.S. Basketball Writers Association. The same day, I get this call from Mario Mocha at New Mexico State saying, "You're gonna, you won't believe who I who I ran into and the connection." And um, their their kids go to the same school. I haven't even told this story yet because I'm waiting till after the the the, the season. I'm gonna talk with our entertainment guy, the guy who runs our entertainment magazine, the Journal. I have to find a way to, to make a story out of this. I got to do something with this. And uh, she said, yeah, call me anytime when my mom comes to visit here in Cruces. Maybe if you're ever down here in Las Cruces, you can come by. She loves hearing stories like yours. My story on the La Bamba love is me and my older sister, three years older than me. One summer growing up, my mom bought us a VCR. My mom worked. We were two kids that stayed at home alone all the time back in an era where everybody did that. You don't do that anymore. But we got a VCR and two movies, two VHS cassettes. Is Gremlins, and I was too scared to watch Gremlins for some reason. I can watch it now. Um, and La Bamba. Why those two movies? I have no idea. They were probably the two that were on sale. And my sister and I watched La Bamba from 8 a.m. every morning when mom goes off to work till she gets home at 5.30 or 6 every night. We watched it on repeat. We'd hit, hit the rewind and wait for it to rewind. And it'd just be playing in the background if we were doing other things or if we went out and played. But uh, we watched it all summer one year. And we I, I'm, I've literally seen it a thousand times. Um, I, I can recite as it's on anyway, I can recite the whole movie as it's going. Like, I can't just tell you right now the whole movie start to finish, 
But that that's it. It's like me and my sister just kind of watched it, and that that's the background of it. But it really is a good story, and I tell people that. Like, it's a good movie. I don't just joke about it. I do joke about it a lot. It's, it's a solid movie, but anyway, that's the that's the La Bamba background story for me. <laughs> Love that's it. Awesome. Love it. That's awesome. Any good, any uh, new restaurants in ABQ? Ooh, good question. Um, Man, I guess I'm going to be disappointing here. I don't think there's been a whole lot of new restaurants. I, I can't think of any new restaurants for, for a while here. Um, I'll, I'll have to get back with you on that because there's got to be some, right? I mean, I can't think of any off the top but of my head. you have a good and they're not worth going to. Right. I mean, the the best ones are still the ones that have been here a while. But, like, yeah, there, there's got to be some new ones. I, You know, there – yeah, I can't think of any – well, Jeff, it was really awesome catching up with you and uh, spending an hour talking about all kinds of stuff from hoops right. to La Bamba, and it's it's awesome, man. So appreciate you, man, and enjoy uh, the week in Vegas. Hope you get to see a lot of good hoops, and uh, maybe one of our teams will make a run. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, hey, Jeff. Another thing. Hope you have a hope you have a postseason run of writing too. Hope uh, if New Mexico doesn't win the tournament, I hope they get the uh, they go into the NIT and, uh, a while. and do some damage in the NIT. So hopefully you'll be able to do some serious writing on that. I'm telling you, it's been a while. I I want to I want to cover something beyond this week. So we'll see. I, I think they will. I do think they're they're uh, they'll be an NIT team, but. We'll see, man. Like they're good. Kind of what I said about the their whole team. Like their good wins are, are still good enough to be in an NIT. Um, they're not in the bubble talk anymore, but I, I think they'll still be in the NIT. Great stuff. Jeff Grammer from the Albuquerque Journal. Appreciate it, buddy. Thanks, guys. Thanks, man. Hope you all enjoyed that. I know I did. And uh appreciate y'all for listening. Thanks to Jeff Grammer for joining us. Good luck to the ladies tonight. By the time most of you are listening to this, that game will be decided already. So uh, hopefully good things will happen against Wyoming and we get to watch them again tomorrow on Wednesday as the men's team also tips off. So uh, mid-afternoon game for the Rams facing off against Fresno State. Going to be a tough one, potentially. God, you got to get one win in the tournament, don't you? Anyways, enjoy, everybody. Have a great rest of your week. Go Rams. Go Rams.